Good afternoon from Southeast Asia. I have to do it again. It's, it's a psychological thing. <coughs> I clear my throat 200 times before I start. And then I get... <laughs> I don't know. I mean, uh, professional broadcasters probably got a term for that. <laughs> it's called uh, lunacy. I don't know what. I used to watch these guys uh, go through these long, convoluted routines before they really stepped on the air, you know. And um, yeah, they cough and they hack and they drink lemon juice and go through all this crap. And then they'd go on the air and they were fine. You know, I tried to do that stuff and I go, you know, quote unquote, on the air. <laughs> Doesn't work at all. Okay, this will be episode or volume number 14 of the Southeast Asia Chronicle podcast things. And they are designed to <clears throat> accomplish a few things to help you decide if, if, if you want to escape the matrix. Remember that old story about the king Uh, he was a king somewhere, medieval times. And some of the king, neighboring medieval village, I guess, you know, didn't like him. So he came over one day and he said, you know, you're a fuckhead. <laughs> I really don't like you. You're an asshole. Maybe he was. I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't remember that part of the story. I only remember this part of the story. And so the other king comes through with this king and he, and he says, you're an asshole and I hate your guts. And, uh, you know, if I ever get a hold of you, there's nobody around. Man, I'm, I'm going to beat you to within an inch of your life with a ping pong paddle. And then I'm going to tie you up with razor wire. And then I'm going to have all my goats rip you. And then, let's see. Oh, then I'm going to cut your hands off. Then I'm going to cut your legs off. Then I'm going to cut your gonads off. You know, poke your eyes out, cut off your tongue. And I got a long, long list of shit like that, you know, if I ever get a chance. Nobody around, nobody looking. And the other king, he sat back, and folded his arms, and nodded once. He said, if. <laughs> I always remember. Somebody taught me that, a grandfather or some damn thing, <clears throat> taught me that when I was a little, little kid. It stuck. Anyway, so we're trying to help you decide if you want to escape the matrix. Maybe you don't. Maybe after you go through all these tapes, you'll decide, nah, <laughs> you know, Peoria is not so bad. <laughs> um, okay. Well, the other thing, if you decide you do want to want to escape. Well, if, if you decide you don't want to escape and Peoria is okay after all, eh, hell, I don't know, listen to these anyway and you'll see what you missed. Uh, if you do want to escape, then these are going to help you figure out where you might go, what you might find when you get there, like that. 
The other thing is, how are you going to live? Can you afford it? Well, it's a hell of a lot cheaper. Every place in Southeast Asia is a hell of a lot cheaper than the U.S. Shockingly, sometimes it's getting more expensive over the last decade, but yeah, it's a lot cheaper. Um, so that's what we're doing here. We're trying to answer all those questions for you. Okay, in the last one, we we did the uh, the Pol Pot thing. Oh, yeah. talk about blackness. I don't know too many human stories that are worse than that. I mean, Hitler was bad. Hitler was really, really bad. He wasn't as bad, I don't think, as Genghis Khan or a few others throughout history. But, uh, Pol Pot was right up there, you know, he's, he's right up there. And I hope you've had a little time to digest that one, you know, assuming you've listened to it. I hope you've, it takes time to digest that one. It's such a sensory overload when you, when you just hear it blurted out. Like I did, you know, I guess we did the whole thing in an hour and 40, something like that. Um, you can't absorb that all. You got to take time. You got to take, oh man, I, well, the first time I went there was almost 10 years ago, uh, to the killing fields. And, uh, I'm, I still haven't assimilated it all yet. And I think about it a lot and I've written about it extensively. Got the strangest sounds up here. We're up on 26 in uh, Manila. The strange shit. We're up on the roof, essentially. Little concrete bunker thing. <laughs> yeah, okay, anyway. Um, I don't want to think about Pol Pot anymore. Except you kind of have to. I, 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 didn't, I didn't do that necessarily to make you think about Pol Pot a lot. I did it to bring about this big systemic paradigm shift in your in, in what you expect to find in Southeast Asia. Because I'm trying to adjust your thinking so that you won't be as shocked as 99% of the yahoos who show up here and they think they're still in England or San Francisco. Um, we got weird stuff here. We got weird stuff going on. What's going on? I don't know. <laughs> okay. Something will blow up pretty soon. Um, I, I tried to give you a really major uh, shift. And, it, and I know it probably started to work a little bit. I don't know how much it worked. I'm curious. I'm curious, you know, right in. You go through uh, Twitter, right in. Tell me, yeah, I really want to know. Come to think of it. I really want to know. What, 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 what effect did that have on you? As far as how you perceive Southeast Asia now. I mean, that was Cambodia, but Southeast Asia is, you know, it's, it could have been Thailand. It could have been any country down here. Same shit could have happened. Could have been Vietnam, could have been wherever. That's just kind of, you know, hell. Anyway, I'm just curious what, I'm curious 
I'm curious how you thought of Southeast Asia before episode 13 and how you think of it after episode 13. I want to know what the shift was in your thinking, in your perception. And in what ways? That's I really want to know that. And then I'll, you know, if you make sense, <laughs> a lot of people don't. I would say somewhere around 82 to 87% don't make any sense at all when they write. I don't know if they're drunk or crazy or both or don't know, but they don't make any sense at all. And you can't, you can't even find anything you can reply to. But anyway, if you make sense, you know, go, go read the comments on any YouTube channel and you're thinking, well, what, what video did they watch? <laughs> um, if your stuff makes sense, I'll make a note of it and I'll try to answer it like I do here on most episodes. Um, but I want to know. I want to know what people think. I want to know if I'm doing my job, really. That is my job. I've got knowledge and you don't, and I'm trying to give it to you. And I want to know if that's working, if I'm doing it correctly. Okay, so the last time we left left you off in Bangkok, uh, hmm, I just figured out why my mic keeps shaking. <laughs> Okie dokie. It's, uh, it's very often an earthquake. I mean, like, I don't know, seems like, seems like once a day, I don't know. It, 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 we get an awful lot of the, the jello type earthquakes where it's, there's no jarring, there's no shaking. It's just <laughs> like, oh, let's see, am I having a stroke? Am I going to pass out? That's kind of what it's like. We get so many of those. Um, okay, so we left you in Bangkok before Pol Pot. And in my personal story, I had gotten a room and it was a horrible nightmare. And then I got out of the room. And that's going to happen to you probably over and over and over. Uh, we're going to go through some landlord stories later on. I'll, I'll, I'll probably, no, I'm not going to group them together. I'll tell them as they come up. Um, I then went to another room about a mile and a quarter away. And that was, uh, landlord was a Jewish guy from uh, New York. He had been a, <clears throat> a real estate agent in New York. And uh, wife kicked him out. Kids hated him. <laughs> no. <laughs> His fault or not? Well, I eventually found out. The answer to that, <laughs> but we'll save that for later. Uh, so I rented a, a, a nice room, nice little one-bedroom room, up on a higher floor, and a very entertaining soy, good part of town. Uh, price was about the same as what I'd been paying Frank, the thief, the want-to-be thief, scammer, piece of shit. And that was okay. That was okay. I like it was a corner unit. I liked it. Uh, the units across from me and, and beside me were empty. It was quiet. It was okay. It was okay. 
Um, and I stayed there a very long time. Only thing I didn't really like was that the, uh, the landlord insisted on being paid in cash every month. Well, we know why for tax purposes. But, um, the place was kind of run down. I remember sitting there, he came over with his girlfriend. He was, uh, I don't know, like 65 probably at the time, something like that. His girlfriend was uh, 20. Um, he had gone to Bangkok to meet her. And she, she was working in a, in a hospital and had a great future, great future. Nice girl. And he bugged her and bugged her and bugged her to quit and come and live with him in this town. And she was like, okay, maybe, I don't know. You know, and he kept uh, bribing her with bigger and bigger allowances. And her family was like, no, no, no. She had a decent family up in Bangkok. And they're like, no, this, this guy's a loser. He's a, no, no, no. Listen to us. Listen to all of us. We're unanimous. He's a loser. He's a piece of shit. He's a sex pat piece of fucking shit. Don't go, don't go, don't go. And of course, so she went, you know, <laughs> moved in with him. Um, and then began her slow and torturous demise. But, uh, I, God, I, I saw that, well, I still do see it so incredibly often. Uh, and, and we'll talk about that later in, in some depth. But anyway, they came over when they were showing me this apartment. They both came over together and they're, and they're looking around. I went in and I looked around and I said, oh God, that's, that's a nice layout. Um, nice location, nice everything. Price was fine. Uh, but I got to looking more at the details and I realized that like all of the trim around the doors and the windows and things like that had been painted a different color than the walls, of course, you know, highlight color. And I thought, I just, I thought what the, wait, wait a minute, wait, 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 look at, look at this, look at this. Um, let's say you got a three inch wide, four inch wide piece of trim going, you know, vertically in a door jam. And then you got the wall, you know, after that. The paint, when they were painting this piece of trim, whoever did it, <laughs> I um, they were like two and a half year olds painting in a coloring book because that's how bad they were at staying in the lines. Uh, you, the, the, everything was covered with mistakes outside, you know, the, the brush slopping over onto the wall or from the wall slopping over onto the trim by, in some cases, four or five inches. Um, everywhere. And I just, I was looking at it, trying to take this in. I thought, oh man, they must've got some nine-year-old Thai kids to do this, you know? And I made the comment, I said, geez, you know, I don't understand these, these people, you know, why, why can't they, any, anybody can paint better than that. You know, that's just absurd. 
uh, and I said, well, you know, we're going to have to trim that up because that's, I can't, I can't live like that. You know, I, I mean, I just not going to, no, this is painted like, like some kids painted their treehouse. you know, really seriously, it was terrible. I probably got pictures somewhere. Um, and they both got really quiet and they looked at the floor and she looked at him and then I got it. Oh yeah. This guy's name was Jay. He had painted everything himself. Okay, so that was a harbinger of how that entire stay was going to go from a maintenance standpoint. Uh, he turned out to be one insufferable jackass piece of shit. Now, I had never... I, no, I, I, I was going to say I, I had never known a Jewish person. I had known one. I had an attorney one time who was a Jew. And um, we went to court for something. He was trying to negotiate something for me. And his manner was so off-putting and obnoxious, counterproductive, backhanded, and stupid. That the opposing party, their attorney was like, what? what, what planet are you from? And uh, I ended up getting a shitty deal just because he was so stupid. And I thought, wow, wow, that was shocking. Uh, and he was really expensive. And that was my first and only experience with anybody of the Jewish faith. And I thought, oh, well, that's a one-off. That couldn't be, that, you know, that can't. Doesn't have anything to do with the Jewish people. He, he was just a fruit, you know. Uh, and that was that was been decades and decades before in the U.S. But so this guy was going to be my second experience with a person of Jewish faith. Wow. And uh, I'll just tell you those stories as they come along. Probably pretty pretty soon. <laughs> so anyway, I moved into this place and it was okay. It was fine. Except for the maintenance. I had to fix absolutely everything. I had to pay for everything out of my pocket. And everything was broken because everything that had ever been put in there was the cheapest possible quality, but used. Didn't work right when he put it in. He didn't put it in correctly. And I had to take up the slack for all of that. But anyway, while I was there, I did a hell of a lot of traveling everywhere, just everywhere. Uh, people came to visit. My family came to visit. Uh, went to every other country. And in some cases, I went to other countries for like six months at a time to live there. But I kept this place because it was just cheap and it was it was home. It felt like home to me. Um, had... I was looking for, I looked for a wife, really. I wanted a new, by this time, by this time, you know, I'm a year past losing mine. And I'm starting to think, you know, life was a hell of a lot better when she was around. And I sure wish I had somebody, oh, I, I, you can't say you want somebody like that. You know, you're going to get a whole new entity, but I wanted somebody, you know, I wanted a new somebody in my life. And I started looking fairly hard. And so during that time, I was doing a lot of dating. 
learning like you can't believe. It's like taking, you know, 15 college courses a day. That's how, how much you were cramming into your tiny brain. Um, and I was just pretty much continuously shocked at the worthlessness of the girls. Oh, God. I, I don't have words. I'll just have to tell the stories and then you'll, you'll have to, you know, try to absorb what you can. Um, I, I kept going back to the same bar. That was my hangout. That was those, those were, you know, sort of my people. The bar slash restaurant thing, the, the open one, you know, downtown. And that was a good hangout. That remained a good hangout pretty much all the time. Usually hangouts like that will run their course. You know, they're really good in the beginning and they peak and then they go down. You know, you get tired of the people or you start seeing problems with the establishment or whatever. Uh, this one didn't. This one just stayed good. All the time, all the decade that I was there, this was a good place to hang until COVID shut it. Yeah. Thank you, China. Thank you. Thank you, China. Hey, yeah. For all that you do for the world. Yeah. Appreciate it. Fucking toads. Scorched earth, motherfuckers. <laughs> That's how I feel. I'm sorry. Don't give me the button. Because I'll push it. <laughs> um, what story do we want first? Oh, yeah. Okay. In that bar. In that bar. I was in there five nights out of seven when I was in town. And I had never taken a girl from that bar. I didn't want a prostitute. I think God, some of them were lovely, some of them were great, some of them would just about convince you they would be a perfect wife. Okay, let's hit that first. Of Among the bar girl crowd, why do they go there? Well, they usually almost always go there because they want money. Well, no, 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 that's not true. Well, yeah, they want money. Okay, that's that's a given. They want money. But there's a percentage of them who go to these tourist towns and become prostitutes because they don't like tying men anymore or other men, Filipino men or whatever in their country. They don't like them. They don't like them. They've learned that lesson, been there, done that. They're done with that shit because they're drunk and they gamble and they beat them and they fuck around. They fuck all the girlfriends. Uh, they make babies all over the fucking village, you know, and then they got to live with that. You know, I mean, it's so rampant, you cannot comprehend it. Nobody knows whose babies are whose, you know, they don't do DNA. Plenty of guys, plenty, plenty of, of, of guys raising kids for their entire lives into adulthood. Even to this day, they don't know that. <laughs> that kid came from the neighbor. <laughs> okay, that happens in America sometimes, every country. But in Thailand, I think more than any other country that, I, that I've ever been in, in Thailand more, that is uh, as common as a 
seeing a spider. So what percentage of them go to these tourist towns? Primarily because they want to find a phalang. They, they like phalangs. First of all, they've got, they love that white skin. They, they are, they're huge on all kinds of whitening creams and stupid shit because they want to be white also. And they, <laughs> they can never grasp that we go there because we don't like white. We want them to be tanned and lovely and they don't want to be tanned and lovely. They want to be white like a phalang lady. Uh, so they'll, they'll spend fortunes on, uh, whitening creams, you know, and it's just, God, I hate it. I, I used to hide them. I used to throw them in the garbage <laughs> when I, girlfriends, when I caught them with that shit. Uh, and some of them can be pretty much permanent. Use them long enough and they're powerful enough. They're the right kind. They can be kind of permanent. Look at Michael. What <laughs> the Michael? <laughs> um, so they want a fling. They want the money. They want the stability. Other girlfriends, when when the, when the girls there get a fling, and if they marry one, and if he's any good at all, they're gonna tell everybody because they're proud. They're proud to have a fling, and even if he's kind of a shit, they'll say, "Oh, he's perfect. He's fucking perfect. You know, he gives me all this money." The sex is really, really good compared to a little Thai guy, you know. Oh, fuck those guys. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, they're polite. They respect me. They love me. Take care of me. We go everywhere. We have a car. We have a car. Can you believe that? We have a car. He bought me a new motorbike. Uh, he's not overly jealous. He never beats me. He's never hit me. Well, probably all that stuff is pretty much true. And so all the friends are thinking, oh my God, oh my God, oh, oh, oh God, oh, I got to have a phalang too. That'll be the answer to all my problems. So the whole village wants a phalang, but there's no phalangs in the village. And even when they go to Bangkok and look around, they see phalangs all over the place and they're thinking, oh, oh God, I want that one, I want that one. And they used to tell me stories about how they just lusted after phalangs they would see on the street or whatever in the restaurants. And the fling would look at them and smile and they would just turn away and look down because they're just shy. and They don't know what to do. They're scared, scared of phalangs. They're big, phalangs are big. And we don't smile all that much. We look serious, we look mean, we look angry. <laughs> you know, we might be laughing our ass off inside, but we look serious. We're not, we're happy to look at you. A lot of us, <laughs> not all of us. <laughs> um, but even if this fling came over and talked to him, even if they went over and talked to him, nothing's going to happen because they don't speak one word of English. They studied it in school, kind of, sort of. The Thai, the Thai schools uh, teach it kind of as an afterthought. A little bit. You don't have to pass it. And nobody, nobody taught them any kind of correct pronunciations or they never had to speak with anybody in real time. They don't know English, period. They don't know it. Every once in a while, they recognize one word, and then they got to stop and think, well, what does that mean? Let's see, let's see, let's see. Um, anyway, they want phalangs. They want phalangs, not as much as they used to, because now the girlfriends are starting to talk more and more and more about the drunken, fat, goddamn, stinking, unclean Brits that they got hooked up with and didn't work out. 
in many, 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 many cases, they will actually dump the Brits to go live back in the jungle in the village in the chicken shed because that's better than living with the mouthy, drunken Brit. Jesus Christ. And so that word gets around. They start telling their friends, well, you know, I, I got one, but he, he's, he's not a good one like those other ones, you know. He's, a, he's just a big walking fucking turd, you know. And so the, so the girls don't want Pauline's nearly as much as they used to. Thank you. Thank you, England. Um, it used to be also that they saw a Falang as their ticket to usually America. They wanted to go to America. They would ask you where you're from. If you're from England, oh, that's nice. If you're from America, oh, oh, and, and then they're just in your face. You know, you can't get rid of them. That used to be the case. Now, yeah, I'm from America. Oh, oh, yeah, okay. All right, well, you're going to stay here in Thailand, you know? Okay, 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 we can talk. Um, they hear the news just like we do, gets translated to Thai and, and uh, Tagalog and every other language, and they know what, well, they don't know what America has become like an American knows it, but they're really getting the idea. It's crime, the police are crazy, the government is crazy, the people are crazy, there's road rage every fucking corner. It's so expensive. Uh, and, and now some number of their girlfriends have gotten taken to America and they report back, you know, um, we're making money like I've never seen money before in my life, but we're not living any better than we were in Thailand in America because everything cost a goddamn arm and a leg. So <clears throat> the idea that maybe someday you're going to take them to America, that's not really too much of an incentive anymore. Some of them still haven't gotten a clue yet, but most of them are getting it. Um, and a very large number. I saw this number increase over the years. You ask them, hey, someday you want to go to America? Oh, no, I don't, I don't think so. Thailand is good for me, you know. Um, plenty of their girlfriends got taken to England or America or whatever the hell. And six months later, they're begging to come back. Uh, in some cases, they would have to go to, the, to their embassy in that country and say, look, I can't take any more. I want out. I just, just, just get me a plane back to to Thailand or, or whatever country. I can't take America. I can't take this guy anymore. I just want out. And then, of course, everybody hears those stories, too, and they don't want to be one of those. Um, and not every relationship is like that. There, there are uh, a number of Thai girls who end up in America or whatever. And they're happy. They're happy with the guy. They're happy with the lifestyle, and they don't want to go back to Thailand. But so, so, so many of them flame out and they just they, they just long for the jungle and their friends and sitting having their big communal uh, meals on the floor rice and fish and oh god they miss it they miss it so much sometimes the guy will send them back to thailand you know once or twice a year and they can hang out for a couple of weeks and fuck a few thai guys and they, nobody ever knows you know and they do it they they all do it what percentage? You send the love of your life, your soulmate, you send her back to Thailand for two weeks a month. How many of those girls are going to go fucking some of their old boyfriends or whatever around the village? My guess. All I can do is guess. 90%.
90%. You'll never know it. You'll never know it. How are you going to know it? Speak Thai? You're going to go back and talk to everybody in the village? They're not going to talk to you anyway. They're not going to tell you the truth. She is their people, not you. They don't, they don't fucking care about you. You're not going to find out ever. Well, that's kind of the way it is in America, but in America, that stuff has a way of uh, floating to the surface, you know, like a floating turd. In Thailand, it's not going to ever, ever. Uh, so, these girls, they go to the tourist towns, the prostitute towns. All the tourist towns are prostitute towns. What percentage of them go there to find a nice guy? Probably one who's going to stay in Thailand or, or whatever country they're in. Okay. We're, we're talking about all countries, Southeast Asia. I would say God, I 60, 70, no, no. 50 or 60%. That's their dream. That's their goal. That's why they're going. They're going to try to put up with the bar just long enough to find a good man and get out. Um, what they do not understand, and you cannot explain it to them, is that, number one, the bar will ruin them and turn them into a not desirable girl. If you... I, I explain I explained this in some detail in one of the earlier podcasts. Um, you get them the, the day they arrive at the bar before they ever get their first customer. They're 25% lost or whatever I said already just by making the decision to go be a hooker. They're, they're, they're 25% lost to a guy who wants a nice girl. They get the first customer. They're 50% lost. They stay for a week and fuck a bunch of guys over the first week. They are, you know, 98, 99%, 99.8% lost. Um, some guys know this instinctively. I did. Some guys don't know it and they'll marry him right out of the bar. Sometimes they marry him in the bar with all their old customers sitting there smirking. Yeah, I fucked her five times. Oh, she loved it, you know. That's at their wedding. Maybe 30, 50 guys she fucked in there at their wedding in the bar. Okay, that's lovely. That's a, that's a, that's a nice optic, you know. Um, what percentage of those marriages work out when you marry a bar girl? One in... One in 300. Probably the best you can hope for is that soon after you marry, like a week, <laughs> she completely loses her look. She packs 50 pounds, face turns to a raisin, and she becomes so ugly that even if she wants to cheat, she doesn't have the opportunity anymore. These girls, yeah, I don't know, there's a saying that says you can't fix a prostitute because they're not broken. Well, they are broken. They're broken to the guy who wants a forever relationship. They're broken. That wall between them 
and fucking for money that's broken. That wall is down now. It's just rubble. And it can't ever be rebuilt. Ever. They can ignore it. They can kind of sort of choose to stay on their side of the wall, but, you know, the, the notion of having sex with strangers uh, is no longer taboo even at all. Oh. There's no wall there. So they just will if they feel like it. And they don't understand why that would bother you. I had one once. She wanted a real relationship. Um, and she still liked the excitement of the bar life. She was a bar girl. And I'm just, no, I just put her off. We just held her off. She hung around because she was nice and she was really good company. We, uh, in, in some ways, we really hit it off. She liked the same activities. Nice girl. And she wanted us to be forever, ever. And I kept saying no. And she said, why? I said, because you're a bar girl. You, you fuck everybody. Um, and she was like, well, well, yeah, but it's just work. You know, it shouldn't mean anything to you. It's just work. That's work. And I said, how many times do you come when you go with these customers? Oh, quite a bit, you know. Well, then it's not just work. You know, <laughs> there's, there's something going on there. There's an attachment and a chemistry going on there. Um, might not be much of one, but it's there. Uh, she finally... I, I was trying to get her out, trying to get done with her. Because she was becoming pretty annoying. In, in, in a lot of ways. And she realized that I didn't want to spend very much time with her. And she came up with this uh, proposal. And the proposal was that, well, if she kept working, if we got married and she kept working, that would be good for me because she wouldn't be around all the time. And then, you know, when she got done with her customers, she'd come home. And I guess we'd fuck them. She wouldn't touch a condom. You know, <laughs> I'm trying to get across to you that you're on Venus. You know, you're not on Earth anymore. You're on Venus. Um, what percentage of girls go to these tourist towns just because they need money to feed their kids? back in the village and their parents, their aging parents, they can't work anymore. A lot of ties will stop working around 50. Uh, a lot of them are perfectly capable of working more, but they just don't. 50, 55, that's kind of just the age you just sort of stop and kids will take care of you now. There is no kind of social security or pension or anything in Thailand. There's nothing. Oh no, that's not true. They do get a kind of a government subsidy thing. It's uh, fuck, what is it? It's absurd. It's like $9 a month or something. I can't remember. It's just nothing. It's just nothing. Buys you a little bit of rice for a few days. Um, so the parents are largely responsible for pushing them 
to go to the bar because they think they're going to make big money in the bar and they're going to live well. They're going to have rice every day then, you know, maybe some fish also. So, yeah, the parents push them. They'll do it sort of subliminally. So some of them will just come out and say, hey, you need to go work in the bar. And some of them are like, oh, you know, we talked to so-and-so the other day and her daughter works in the bar. And, oh, God, she sends money every week. And those people have rice and fish every single day, you know. And they'll, they'll subliminally push them like that. Okay. What percentage of girls go to the bars? Just because they like to party and drink and fuck. And the money's okay, too. Um, 30%. Now, the ones who went there to find a phalang, find a husband, they went there. When they first went there, they were still kind of, sort of, possibly capable of maintaining a real, stable, forever kind of a relationship with the guy. They first got there. Uh, after that, after they've gone with more than one customer, that's gone. That capability is gone. It's dead. They don't know it. They don't know it. They think they're still the same sweet, innocent girl that walked in there. So you go sit down somewhere and, and, uh, Watching the cars, watching the people, watching the scenery, and the bar girl comes, and she might come off the street, or she might be working in the bar, or whatever. She'll come and sit down next to you, and talking, and you know it's okay, it's okay conversation. And she starts talking about how she really wants to find a husband, because she really—that's what she wants in her heart, and I—and I think she does, she does. And you say, oh, uh, how long have you been working in the bar? Oh, um, nine years. You know, you don't ask them how many guys they fucked. If they're good looking, they're going to average one or two a day. Sometimes two or three guys at a time. Um... And you, you don't insult them. You, you don't just flat out say, no, no, get away, get away. Get, get, go. No, you just go ahead and talk to them. And you, and you just don't tell them, you know, we ain't getting married. <laughs> ain't going to happen. But she still thinks she's got that capability. She doesn't, except if she, if, if she finds a fool. Um, some of the girls, I've seen this happen way too many times. Some of the girls who go there wanting a phalang, wanting to be married, they get sucked up into life. And it's exciting. There's always action. There's always music. There's always a new guy every three or four minutes to talk to. Uh, and they'll promise them anything. And half the time they believe them. But it's fun. Oh my God, it's fun. And they got spending money. They can stay all, all night out with their girlfriends. They go fuck anybody they want. They can drink. And then if a guy ever does come along who's serious about them, even though they're a bar girl, um, they think about it for a while. And nah. No. Sorry. <laughs> 
And then they just live out the next years in the bar. Now, for them, Thai women, Southeast Asian women in general, tend to, they do this weird thing. I saw this, I lived on a number of Indian reservations in the, in the U.S., the Southwest, and in the Northwest, and in Canada, and in Alaska, like that. And I, and I lived on those reservations. I married one of them. Uh, they can be the most beautiful girls on earth until they're not. And they don't age gracefully. They don't age slowly. They hit a point where over a period of two years, they do a flip-flop. They go from cute to unnerving <laughs> in two years. Um, the really crude guys, uh, the Brits, will often say, oh, the window of fuckability on that one has closed. It, it's disgusting, but it's accurate. Nobody wants them anymore. But nobody wants them as a wife either. And now they're too old and ugly to get too many customers. I knew one. She was... She'd been a customer. I mean, she'd been a, a hooker in the bars since she was probably 15. In, in old days, it, underage was fine. Now they kind of sort of reinforce it. Um, and when I knew her, she was early 60s, I think. And her look, she was hideous. She was hideous looking, just hideous. And she would try to mask that with, you know, God pints of makeup. And of course that never works. Um, she got a customer maybe twice a year. The rest of the time she lived on little teeny tiny tips or uh, whatever she got off of lady drinks. You know, probably a couple of, well, nobody wanted to buy her one. But. So that's what happens to them and they don't know it. They can't see that coming. Uh, once their looks change, you know, a halibut, I used to fish halibut commercially. Um, halibut does a thing. <laughs> They're kind of a, not a bad looking fish, you know, for the first while of their life. And then at some point, some gene kicks in and one eye kind of shifts over to the other side of their head, you know. <laughs> And nobody cares because we're just going to eat them, you know. But uh, they look really hideously ugly. And so a lot of the indigenous girls around the world, that's what happens. I mean, one eye doesn't <laughs> slide over the other side of her head. But we used to call it doing the halibut. Oh, she did the halibut. <laughs> yeah, we were crude motherfuckers sometimes. Um But they just go through the switch or change you. And nobody wants them at all, not even as a prostitute. But that is tragic. You know, you, you gotta you gotta snag a guy. In most cases, you gotta snag a guy when you're young and hot. And he likes you for that. And then you show him a good heart. He'll come to love your heart and your soul. And then he doesn't give a rat's ass what you look like from, from that point on. He's hooked there forever.
from now to afterlife, to the next life, to the next life. He's hooked on your heart, which is the only thing you really, really got. That's the only thing you can craft and affect and hone and make good. It's your heart. It's all you got. You don't have your looks there. There's just this thing that kind of happens to you, you know? And then they're gone, like the halibut. <laughs> Poor halibut. Um, so I felt for these girls an awful lot. I had, I had incredible empathy for them. Um, most of them are in such pain because they have come there with a dream and within a very short time, week or two, the dream is gone. No intelligent man wants a prostitute. Ah, oh, no, I, I can't make that blanket statement. Um, some guys don't care. Some guys truly don't care. They can go fuck other customers, have customers, they don't care. Most of them don't want that. And the girl says, oh, I won't fuck anybody else. And the guys are like, okay, baby, I believe you. Yeah, right. come on. <laughs> so they spend years in the bars, dreaming and wishing, look at that guy, look at that guy. He could be my husband. I could love him. Um, and they never, ever, ever get that that guy, when he's looking at them smiling, he's not thinking about being their husband. He's thinking about just fucking the brains out tonight. And then that's it. Don't call me. Don't call me. We're done. Thank you. Here's a thousand bucks. We're done. And so every time that happens, every time a girl likes a guy and he takes her, they, the girls call it uh, try before you buy. That's how they see it. They want you to try them before you buy them. But they don't understand that you have no intention of buying them. Ever. Not if you've got half a goddamn frog brain. God, what sad stories. Uh, learning about that culture down there. You know, in the U.S., we see prostitutes. We just oh, okay, we just dismiss them. We don't. We don't even really see them. There's like street people. You know. Um, down there, it's different. It's not the same. It's not even remotely the same. It's not even on the on the same planet. The same. And God, that takes a time to understand that. And the vast majority of guys that I saw come down there never ever grasp that. Some do. Some do. 10%? Yeah, maybe 10%. The rest of them, the other 90% are in some stage of denial or delusion or something about bar girls. Um, part of the problem is, I, I think I mentioned this before, they're Buddhists. And if you are a Buddhist, Buddha has taught that if you do a bad thing, like go fuck somebody's friend, uh, well, it's just, it's just, you know, you're not going to hell. There's no such thing as hell in Buddhism. Not really. Um, you're just going to take a hit to your karma. 
But that's okay because you can fix that. You can you can neutralize that. You can counteract that. You just go make merit somewhere. You go do a nice thing for somebody somewhere. If you can't, if you can't, if you're too busy, you just think hard about it for a while. And now that's pretty much as good, you know. So it's a really common thing down there, people who've done shit to other people. Um, and the bar girls will try to do this some amount. They'll go to a, a local temple and uh, offer to clean their latrines. And, uh, <laughs> you know, they look in there and go, God, you Jesus Christ, that's hideous beyond comprehension. You know, this is a three-day job. Well, they put in three or four hours. You know, say, well, you know, looks a little better, right? Okay, thank you. And they're gone. And, and in their minds, they have been wholly absolved of any bad thing they did. Um, in, in America, they think about, oh God, oh God. Maybe I'll go to hell. I don't, probably. I don't care. I don't care. Oh, fuck it. Fuck it. It's okay. Hell's okay. You know, that's all I think. So I got to know countless bar girls, but I wouldn't take them. I wouldn't take them. Now, I was in this bar, that same bar, restaurant bar. I didn't think of it as a bar because I don't. I hardly drink it at all. So I drink cokes and whatever shit. Coconut, a lot of coconut juice. A lot of coconuts died. <laughs> um, and the staff was getting increasingly frustrated. All the girls were, why, 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 you know, is this guy gay? No, he never goes with other guys. Why, why won't he take us and fuck us, you know? Like, we really want to. And, and I get offers to go for free, but, but they were still bar girls, you know. Oh God, we, we want to go fuck this guy. Really, we all do, you know. Really, come on. Why won't he? Why won't he do anything? Come on, come on. And so this, this over quite a few months, this became an obsession with quite a few of them, because <clears throat> they get guys come in there and they <clears throat> phalanges and they come <clears throat> and they come in and sit down, talk to the girls for five minutes, ten minutes, fifteen minutes, half hour, buy a couple of drinks. Hey, you want to go? Yeah, okay. And they're and they're off to the counter. And I I'd been in there months, never happened once. And I was getting lonely. Oh God, I was lonely. But you know, it's the old thing: water, water everywhere, not a drop to drink. It's a, I repeated that to myself quite a few times a day. <clears throat> you look around, see all these gorgeous girls, gorgeous, gorgeous, prettier than almost all the girls I ever saw in any Western country. Well, because I, I happen to like that look, but um, water, water everywhere, not a drop to drink. It came from an old sea, seafarer something where they're out in the middle of the ocean and they run out of water on some old sailing ship and they're thirsty as hell. They're dying of thirst and they, and they look around and say, water, water everywhere, not a drop to drink. And that's what it was for a guy who wanted a meeting of the hearts from Southeast Asian girls. Ah, that was sad for me. Sad. Now, a lot of guys just go ahead and take one, take her home, take her to the condo, hotel, the condo, whatever, and they roll around, they laugh, and oh, she, she pretends like she loves him, and maybe in that moment she does, I'm not sure. 
And they have a great time. They go out and eat. They laugh and they talk and they watch the movie. And they fucking, fucking, fuck. And the guys are just in seventh heaven. I mean, they know it can't last. They're going to marry him. But they believe the girls love him. And maybe in their own Southeast Asian way, they do a little bit kind of sort of. You don't know because you they'll never they, you, you can't you can't probe to the depths of their soul and find out what's truth and what is not. Maybe they don't know. But the guys would get done with these encounters, and that took care of a very big percentage of their need for a quote-unquote significant other because that person was a significant other for that period of time, that evening. And a lot of guys take them for a week, you know, go traveling around, whatever, professional girlfriends. Um, and some of those guys had really nice times doing that. And they, but, and they, and for them, that was a valid thing to do. It, it satisfied some or all of that need that they had. For me, uh, you know, I, I'm out in the middle of the ocean. I've run out of water, dying of thirst. Somebody gives me a bottle. Oh, God, thank you, thank you, thank you. And I pry off the top and I go to glug, 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 glug. It's just dusty air. And I felt that Ten times a day, these girls would come and talk to me. Sweet girls. And I'm looking at them and listening to them, and I think, God, you know, I could probably marry you. But, you know, fuck everything. And it would be like getting that bottle full of dusty air. There would be nothing to nourish my soul. I mean, if if you could, if if prostitution did not permanently wreck them and their soul, um, then you God, I don't know. You might meet a really nice one and, and spend some time, and, and you would say, "Okay, baby." God, I like you a lot. I really do. Do you like me? Oh, yeah. I love you. Well, what do you think? You give up this whole prostitution thing forever. It never enters your head again. And we just get married. Now, if prostitution was not a poison that penetrated to the depths of the soul, maybe you could do that. And she would say, okay. Let's do it. And you move away from the bar town or the bar um, and you get married. Maybe you can be happy like that, but prostitution is a cancer and you virtually never get rid of all the cancer. It's always some somewhere lurking around inside the body.
prostitution is a cancer. And I just wouldn't go with one. So I was in this bar all the time, and they're, and they're, they're like having these competitions, you know, informal competition to see which one could finally get me to my condo. God, they tried every fucking thing. Everything. Do I want to go into that? Well, no, not right now. Just, just imagine, just use your imagination. Everything they tried. Everything you can imagine, they tried. Everything you can imagine. What can you imagine? Expand your consciousness a little bit. Expand your imagination. Everything you can imagine. <laughs> okay, I'm just saying this over and over like a fish, you know. That's what they tried. And I just, why? It's, it's, I don't want to drink a bottle of hot air. I'm thirsty for water, not for a bottle of hot, dusty air. So there's no point. There's no point in going with you. And they couldn't grasp that. They, they just thought I was weird. They thought, oh, he's gay. He's fucking gay, you know. Um, now, one night I was in there. And the mama-san had decided, okay, that's, that's enough of this shit. This guy's lonely. Sometimes I would sit in the very back, in the dark. And there was this little bit of a jungly environment back there. Uh, just the jungle growing into the open sides of, of this bar restaurant thing. And one night I was back there. I had this weird thing. It was a, some kind of psychological glitch thing in my brain. Now, my wife and I never went on buses. I don't think we were ever on a bus one time in our entire lives. Um... But every time I got on a bus in Southeast Asia, a bus, not a plane, a bus, I would think of her and just cry my eyes out. Like first hour on that bus. I don't know what the hell that was about. But anyway, in those days, I was doing a hell of a lot of crying about my wife. I just cried all the time. Drop of a hat. Just sitting somewhere in a restaurant, think about her, cry. God, I wish she could have seen this. I wish she could see that. I wish, you know, I wish, I wish, I wish. So this one night I was in the back of this bar, sitting back there. I was feeling sad. I didn't want that fucking girls to come back there. And I'm sitting there drinking my Pepsi, whatever the hell I drink. And there was a monsoon coming through, so there was lightning and rain and Wind was blowing. It was whipping these huge banana leaves around next to where I was sitting. And God, it was a fucking glorious night. It was just a glorious night. I, I revel in those nights because when I worked uh, on, the, on the rescue tug, when I had that business, uh, that's the only time we got called out is when it's blowing a hurricane. We, did, you know, we never, got, never got to go anywhere when it was nice. Um, and we did a lot of really, really, really ugly shit. Really ugly shit. Shit we had no business doing, but we did it. Okay, so after I got out of that business, 
anytime I could be somewhere where it's raging and blowing and storming and pestilence and goats falling from the sky, you know, and shit like that. Every time that happened, I, I loved it more than anybody else because I'm thinking, thank you, Buddha. Thank you, Great Pumpkin. Thank you, Jesus. I love you all. I don't have to go out tonight. I can just sit here and look. And so those nights for me were just magical, just storming and blowing and raining and monsooning and lightning and thunder. Oh, fuck, that was just delightful. So I sit back there in this bar alone. And of course, of course, fucking tears started, you know. Fuckers. And there was nobody around. It was darkish. I was in the shadow. I just let it, just let it go. I didn't sob, you know. I didn't bend over and bury my face. I just sat there and let him run. And eventually one of the girls figured this out. You know, they, they'd come back and they'd say, you want another drink, you know, or whatever. And I say, no, 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 no. Before they got too close, I just, no, thanks, no. And they, they figured this out anyway. And they didn't stare at me and they didn't say anything. They just, you know, give you a little why, a little bow, and turn, walk away. Thank you. Thank you. But increasingly, I was back there probably three hours or something like that. Increasingly, they got concerned, I guess. Thai girls, they're going to steal your wallet. They're going to steal your fucking ring and your watch and your phone. And, but they have a caring side to them. It's just sweet and delightful. Most Southeast Asian girls do. Filipinos are famous for it. They make they make the world's best nurses. I think Filipinos number one. Thais are probably number two. They care. They care for people who are, you know, down. So pretty soon one came back and I, I said, no, 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 no. And she came back anyway. And she just sat down. Next to me. And she just touched me on the shoulder. I never said a word. Just walked away. And then a little while later, another one came back and did the same thing. And over the next three hours, you know, eventually all of them had done that. And, uh, yeah, and that was a very special evening for me. I, I saw the upside of Southeast Asians and, and Thai people and prostitutes. I saw I saw little glimpses of the good sides of their hearts. And of course that's you know seared into my soul for all time.
So finally, I didn't have any more tears. Got done. And they started asking me to come over, come on, join us. You know, we're having a little party over at some table. So I went over there and sat down, and I think they gave me a free drink or something. Yeah, they did. They gave me some free alcoholic drink. Remember what it was? And I uh, drank that thing down, and, and that helped. I feel a little better. And then we're just kind of talking, and they're just talking Thai, and I'm trying to learn Thai. And, you know, we're going along like that, and everything's just okay, but I'm still just sad to the bone, you know. And spent three hours crying in the fucking rain, you know. And the mouse she disappeared for a while. And then pretty soon, everybody at the table stopped talking, and they looked at something kind of off to my side. I thought it was somebody they knew, you know, but I didn't turn around. And finally, I did turn to look, see what they're looking at. And the Mamasan was there. Mamasan was, uh, they're usually old. They usually had spent their lives as hookers, you know, and they're too old to be one anymore. They want to be, and they'll try. <laughs> but, you know. She was standing there, normal, normal clothing, you know, and slightly in front of her was this girl that I'd never really seen before. Maybe I'd seen her, but I didn't remember. And she was stunning beyond words. Black girl. And Mama-san had dressed her. I don't know where the hell they got it in this old, ancient, traditional Thai clothing. It was a costume, certainly, but in that moment, it didn't seem like a costume. It fit her flawlessly. The, the old clothing had kind of a satiny appearance, bright colors. We'll Google some pictures of traditional Thai girls and well, actually I got pictures. What the hell? I got a million of them. Um, the old traditional clothing. And Mausan had her hands a little bit behind this girl. She had her hands on her shoulders. And the girl was standing there and she would kind of mostly look down, but every once in a while she'd look up and just catch my gaze, look back down. And she was a bar girl. She worked in that bar. I don't know why I hadn't seen her before. And all the girls are looking at her, and they're looking at me. And the Mama-san said, this one is for you. And I took her home. I didn't pay her. She never said a word. Later, I found out she was disappointed that I hadn't paid her. And then I did. And then I sent money to her. She was gone by then. She had left the bar. Uh, she had found some fine. 
and I sent money to her and verified that she got it. And, uh, you know, it was what it was. Okay, it was what it was. Alrighty. <laughs> After that, the girls decided, okay, this guy is available now. We we broke him. We fucking broke him. <laughs> uh, now we got him. You know, he is ours. And I still never went with any of them. Uh, that one special night, that was it. And I didn't want. Them. I didn't want them. And it turned out that one of her friends. Um decided she had come there specifically and exactly to that town to find a, a fillet. And she decided I was the fillet. And she hung around me all one night. And I didn't buy her any drinks because I didn't particularly like her anyway. She was okay. I didn't hate her or anything. But I, you know, she's just okay. And she just hung and hung and hung and hung and hung. Relentless, the goddamn Terminator. She was pretty. She was a pretty girl. It just wasn't for me. You know, sometimes somebody can be beautiful. I, I watched the uh, Miss Universe pageants. God, gorgeous girls. Just technically perfect. But I really don't want any of them. You know, one out of four, maybe. If I met them somewhere, I would want to talk to them. It's, it's just, uh, it just depends on what a person likes, you know. And that's what she was. She was uh, anyway. She finally, towards the end of the night, uh, getting ready to leave, and she says, "I, I want to go with you." Well, fuck, you know, how many times during that evening had I heard that? You know, twenty, thirty. And I said, "No, no, 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 sorry, no, 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 nine yet. You know, ain't gonna happen." And she just kept asking and asking to the point where I was getting perturbed. It's like, no, what, what do you not understand about no? And I had had that happen before. And uh, she finally said, I, I don't want money. I said, well, that's okay. That's nice. Okay. Um, you know, that's a nice offer. Thank you. Thank you. Really, really, that's a nice offer. But no, listen to me, you know, watch my lips. <laughs> no new taxes, you know. No, it's not going to happen. No, no, not in this lifetime. Not next. Not going to happen. And it didn't phase her. She just, she had decided I was it. I was the one. And then she started crying. Now, Thai girls, most Southeast Asian girls, but Thai girls more than any other girls can cry on cue, and they do, and they will, and they... It's just a thing. They just turn it on and they cry. Some of them cry convincingly. Some of them are not so convincing. But uh, she was convincing. She was really, really sad. She was genuinely sad that this, whatever she thought was going to happen, wasn't going to work out. And she kept saying, look, look, I don't want your money. You don't have to give me money. I just want to be with you tonight because I'm really lonely. And I just need to be with you. Now, these girls were, uh, I, I didn't worry about these girls stealing my wallet in the night. They might have, 
if they did, you know, you have good recourse because they were well vetted by this monosome. Most of them do not vet them hardly at all, if at all. This one did. This one was very, very careful. Uh, and so that wasn't a consideration. I, I finally, after a couple hours of pestering me like this, a couple of hours, I said, look, okay, okay. You know, I'm leaving right now. Uh, I'm not going to pay your bar fine. I'm not going to give you any money. You're going to sleep on the sofa. You're going to sleep on the sofa. I have a bedroom. I'm going to sleep in the bedroom. You're going to sleep on the sofa. Okay. Yes, that's okay. That's fine. She just wanted somebody to sit with and talk to and somebody to go with and call a friend like that. I said, okay, let's go. Let's go. And she got her stuff and jumped on the motorbike and we went back to my place and True to her word, she went out and made a little bit on the couch. And we watched a movie and uh, didn't hold hands. Nothing. Nothing. No, this is not going to happen. I, I was not interested at all. Um, I finally went in and went to bed. And of course, you know fucking well what happened. You know, at 3 o'clock in the morning, she's in there. You, you, you wake up with somebody kissing on your neck, you know. What the hell? You know, come on. We're animals. No, I mean, really, we're not kind of like animals. We are animals. <laughs> Just disgusting pig fucking shit bastards. And, okay, so that happened. <clears throat> and then we had to have a talk in the morning, you know, like, no, <clears throat> you know, this was a mistake. This is not going to happen again. This did not mean anything. I'm never going to give you money. You're never, never going to come here again, you know, like that. Okay, so next night she ended up there again. Well, I think she never left. Um, well, she ended up staying there a couple of weeks. And I was not even really attracted to her. Just on a, on a one to ten, my attraction, on, on a one to ten for her looks, she was a seven. You know, nice looking, nice looking woman, nice looking. As far as my attraction to her specifically, it was a Two, it just wasn't there. It just, you know, sometimes it's not. It's just not there. And it wasn't. And it wasn't changing. It wasn't getting any better. I did get to know her quite a bit. Her English was pretty good. Um, she had, she had three kids, didn't live with her. She had held some pretty responsible positions up in Bangkok. Her husband was a fuckhead, fucked around, fucked everybody. In, and he, he worked in the same company. He, he fucked everybody there. And they split. And uh, she didn't want another tie. Oh, God, no. Another die. So that's why she went to that town. She wanted to find a good man. And she thought the bars were the way to do it because that's the only place that you're going to have exposure to them. That's the problem. You can't just go to one of these towns and walk around. You can't speak English. And how yes, no. By far the most effective way of getting exposure to Falang is to work in a bar. And they know this. They've reasoned it out. That's going to get you exposure to 15, 20, 50 guys every night. Yeah, they're a bunch of fuckheads and sex pats and creepazoids and dog fuckers. And they're miserable scum. But might be one. There might be one good one.
and that's their dream. That's all they got. That's the only dream they got. And that was her dream. And I was chosen. Um, we hung around. We did everything. We went everywhere. We walked around. Everywhere. She could talk well. Well enough. She was smart. Um, and she was jaw-droppingly insatiable. And I didn't like it. And she would be, she would pester to the point where you just gave up. When I was really young, you know, 16, 17, I had a few girlfriends like that. You, you, you were horny, a horned out, you know, you were. And you, you, oh God, you just wanted them 24 seven. You just wanted, 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 oh, Jesus Christ, you'd do anything, you know. Um, and you pester and pester and pester. And sometimes they were just like, okay, just, just do what you want. You know, I, I'm just going to, I'm just going to go sleep here. You do what you want. And when you're done, you know, go <laughs> like that. And that's the way it was with her, with this girl. And that, that's how I felt about it. It's like, God damn it, you know, hurry, hurry up. Come on, just do what you want. Quickly, please. You know, <laughs> that's the way it was. And she kept hanging around for quite a while. Sometimes she went to work. Bugs, bugs. Um, sometimes she stayed with me, never paid her, never paid her at all. I'd take her out to theater, stuff like that. Um, she developed an eye problem. And uh, the doctors there and in Bangkok, they wanted some ungodly thing like, I don't know, 100,000 baht, something like that to do this operation on her eye. She couldn't afford it. I didn't want to pay it. And she was going blind. She was literally going blind. Ties have a condition they can get, and they get quite often. Uh, she was pretty much blind in one eye and about half blind in the other eye. And I didn't want to pay for that. I wasn't a boyfriend. I was just some, I was just a friend. You know, she's just hanging out. She could go away at any given time. I wouldn't miss her at all. But she rooted around and rooted around and finally found some doctor, some obscure doctor in some little town somewhere almost to the Cambodia border. And he said he would do it for 10,000 baht. And I said, oh, yeah, oh, come on, come on. No, 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 no. You, you know, you, you will go blind for sure now. And she didn't have, she didn't have a thousand baht in here. She had nothing. Uh, and finally she convinced me, no, she checked him out and he's good. And, uh, and he could make her see you again. And God, I resisted that for a long time, a couple of months, thinking, no, I'm not going to pay to have her fucking blinded, you know. Uh, socialist medicine there, I'll, we're going to talk that, we're going to talk about that pretty, pretty dramatically at some point. Um, it's fucked. All these stupid little snowflakes and millennials are in America uh, trying to make it a socialist country. Fuck them. They're so fucking stupid. They have no goddamn fucking clue what they're talking about. Imbeciles. Anyway, in the end, I relented. I said, God damn it. You know, I think this guy's going to blind you. He's going to, you might lose your life. Do you really want to do this? 
And she said, yes, I got to do this because I can't see. I can't see anyone. And I uh, took her out there. It's a hell of a long trip out there. Took her in. And the procedure was, I don't know, three or four hours. Just he did just in there in the office in, the, in this broken down little, it, it looked like an old communist slum building, you know. And there's like six or seven, eight other girls waiting in there for the same procedure. And he did this, and she came out all bandaged up, did, did one eye, so that's all bandaged over. Uh, and she's really fucked up. She's really sick and really messed up. And she came out, and then I had to take care of her for like I don't know, two weeks before she could take the damn patch off. So we're just waiting, waiting, waiting. You know, okay, are you going to be blind in that eye? You know, is the eye even still in there anymore? Do you take it out and sell it on eBay? You know. And we waited all that time, took the patch off, and uh, she could see. He had done it perfectly. And then she had to wait some period of time and took her back, got the other one done. It was perfect. Perfect. This was a doctor who cared about people, and he was good. And he did it. And he fixed lots and lots and lots of people. I'm not sure. I think girls get this more than guys, but I'm not positive. I can't remember the name of it. it you can see it if you look closely into their eyes. You can see this developing. And it's really, really common. I saw it a million times. And it's mostly just Thai girls that get it. They, they probably, you know, probably girls around the world or people around the world probably can get it, but it's just really, really prevalent in Thailand. I don't know why. Um, it's not a cataract. It's a completely different thing from a cataract. Uh, anyway, she just was bound to determine to insert herself in my life. And I was becoming increasingly determined that she was not going to. So I would make her go to work more and more and more. And I, and I, oh, I told her flat out, you know, you've got to find a boyfriend. You've got to find a real boyfriend because I am not him and I'm never going to be him. I'm sorry, I'm not. Um, it was a little bit like going to bed with your sister, you know. No, no, maybe your sister's gorgeous, but it's your sister, you know. And it was just like that for me. And so I began trying to push her out more and more and more. Um, and that made her all the more insistent on staying. I took her around. We, I took her to a number of different countries. We did that. We traveled together. Good company. Great company. But my grandmother was great company, too. But I didn't want to have sex with my grandmother. This girl wasn't old. She was, uh, see how old she was, probably 20 years younger than me at that time. Um, finally, it just, she just became so pushy that I just had to get her out. I had to, and so I took her stuff when she was at work. I took all her stuff, took her to the bar in bags. I said, here, I'm sorry, you can't come back. And uh, I took her key card to the condo, couldn't get in. And I, I hadn't thought about it before, but that was a mortifying experience because all the other girls saw me do this. 
this was extremely humiliating for her and I, moron that, morons that guys often are, I was a moron. And I had no intention of hurting her. I just had to get her out, just out. And uh, so this really hurt her. Um, and then the next night, you know, knock, knock, knock on my door. She had followed somebody in through the security door and sobbing, just sobbing her eyes out. And I'm like, well, I, I'm really sorry that you're sad, but I cannot help you. Really, you're going to have to be an adult here. You're going to have to suck this up. Uh, you know, I'm sure you had boyfriends throughout your life and some of them you broke up with and they were sad and they probably cried. Uh, and now you're crying and I'm sorry. I cannot fix this for you. I just, it's not in me to do it. I know you're going to have to go. And she collapsed onto the floor there in the hallway outside my condo. And just sobbed. Sobbed. Not like her heart was breaking. It was breaking. Now I said Thai girls can cry on cue. And they can and they do a lot. Uh, this wasn't on cue. This was genuine. And I kind of sat down with her with my back up against my door. I didn't want to let her in. Just sat with her and, and I rubbed her back. You know, like, I'm sorry, you know. We, we can still try to be friends once in a while. You know, maybe once a month we'll go have, have a lunch or something like that. You know, you got to go find a, a real boyfriend. Really, you do. And that made her cry all the more because I'm a fucking idiot. Like most guys. I'm not as much of an idiot now as I was, but I still am <laughs> to some degree. Because it's in our fucking genes, you know. We're, the it, it, idiocy is in our genes. We can't get it all out. <laughs> and finally, I just couldn't take any more sobbing. There's a couple hours out there in the hall. Couldn't take any more. I, you know, I just couldn't. I let her in. Made her sleep on the couch. But that helped her greatly. And she didn't try to come in the bedroom. She didn't try to do anything. Um, but it helped her in her heart to just have somebody in her life that cared enough. They would let her in out of the hallway. That's all. That's all I did. And for that moment in time for her, that was enough. That helped. That helped her a lot. So next morning, she's up and helped her go. She went back to work. I went back to running around, traveling, doing stuff, having adventures. Um, but for the next few years, she, she remained in my life to one degree or another. Um, and I helped her a little bit when I could. She never asked me for money. Never, ever, ever in all those years, never one time asked me for money except for one time. I had told her, look, I'm not giving you any money. I never gave you any money. You know, once in a while I buy some silly little thing for her, you know, a blouse or something like that. Um, we would go to a mall or something and 
and I would I would just have a feeling I wanted to buy her some kind of a blouse or whatever. And I would say, "Do you like that one? Yeah, that that's nice, but this one is cheaper. You know, I, I can this one this one is good. You know, you can buy the cheap one." So I'd buy her whatever she truly wanted. And then she'd get it, and we'd be going out, and she would tell me, she'd translate for me and tell me what the sales girl was saying to her in Thai. And the, and the sales girl, sales girls, plural, every time we did this, would tell her, look at this stupid Falang. He has a lot of money. You, you, you don't settle for one blouse. Uh, you, you buy 10 things. He'll pay for them all. I know he will, you know. That's the prevailing attitude, not just in Thailand, in all Southeast Asia countries. That's the attitude. Anyway, we continued to spend time together once in a while. She had some really bad customers. One of them hurt her, put her in the hospital. When she got out, she told him to run because I was looking for him. I was going to kill him and I wanted to really badly. I wanted to. He, he hurt her bad. Just an animal, just a fucking animal. Uh, he tore up a hotel room they were in and then ran away. The hotel tried to make her pay for it. He trashed her motorbike to the point where it wouldn't run anymore. And the hotel kept her motorbike as security for her paying for the damage this guy had done on the room. The room was in his name, not her name. But this is Thailand, Southeast Asia. That's how they think. And uh, I was incensed by that. I went to the hotel. They had a, they had actually taken it into the hotel and they had it locked up behind their fucking counter. And I just went in and stared them down, took it. It was, they had it chained to some little wooden part of the counter and I jerked it until that broke, wheeled it outside, wheeled it down the street, took it to a shop, got it fixed up, looking for the guy, I never found the guy. Uh, so we remained friends like that. That's a, that's a friendship. Um, she had three daughters. They were teens, early teens. And, uh, I would let them come and stay with me and we would go to movies and do bowling. And, you know, they came from a village up north, Isan, and they had never seen a bowling alley. What the fuck is this thing? What, 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 what are you doing there? You know, look at the, look at these people they're rolling these balls. Well, that looks like fun. Okay. So everything I did for them was brand new. Took them to water parks and took them on ferry rides. And that was a lot of fun showing them new stuff. And they were, they were supremely nice kids, all girls. Uh, and they loved me and I loved them. And we did a lot of stuff together. Showed them a lot about life. And that was a weird but positive thing in my life. Um, she eventually met a guy, Australian guy, nice guy, good solid guy. And he loved her. He loved her. He just fucking loved her. She didn't like him. She confessed she didn't like him. But she was getting older. Pretty soon she was going to stop getting customers in the bar. Her daughters 
were getting older, they needed a lot of stuff. Uh, she had some medical problems coming up. Socialized medicine wasn't covering them. Wouldn't even hardly fucking talk to her. Uh, a couple of them looked pretty serious. They required operations. Um, she needed help in her life. She needed somebody who loved her. And she found this guy. Met him in the bar. And from that moment, he put her on allowance. She didn't have to go with customer ever again. From that moment. And she didn't. She was one of the one in a million who wouldn't. Um, I think. <laughs> you know, you've got to qualify that. And he went back and forth to Australia a few times. He traveled all over the damn place. I think he was a professional golfer. I'm not sure. Oh, no. He, 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 yeah, he did that. He dabbled in professional golfing, but he was also a banker in Australia. So he traveled all over the place. Had a lot of money. Had several homes. Had a good life. And he never stopped loving her for one minute. And he finally came and got her. Took her to Australia. Married her for real. Had to pay for the divorce of the Thai piece of fucking shit that, that she had run away from. And he married her for real. Really. In Australia. Bought her a nice car. Gave her a good, good life. Took care of her daughters. Every time the daughters needed something, he just took care of it. And they stayed together. Well, I, I knew about them for the next three or four years, probably. Uh, and we talked occasionally. And I'd say, hey, how's it going? How are you doing? You happy? Oh, yeah. Oh, God, I'm happy. Yeah, everything's fine. And we just did that occasionally, you know, for the next three or four years. And I finally got to the point where I figured, well, you know, she is as stable as she is ever going to be in her life. Really happy that she's happy. But it's just inappropriate for me to keep talking to her. She told this guy every conversation. He could read her phone. You know, this was no secretive fucking shit. Um, I don't, I, I think he probably didn't like it. No one would. He knew what our history was exactly. Um, but he loved her enough to give her the freedom to have other friends in her life. Good guy. Rare. Fucking rare. She got along with her family. And I just figured, okay, that's it. That's it. You know, she's as stable as she's going to get. Um, this guy cannot possibly appreciate that. It's inappropriate for us to be talking. And I wrote her a long letter and message and said, okay, well, you know, this is where I'm going to have to just let you go. I can't do anything more for you in your life. We had a friendship. We learned about each other. And we learned about life together. We learned about romance together. We learned about a lot of stuff together. If it wasn't for this guy, yeah, we'd keep talking probably for our whole lives. But um, this guy is your guy now. And she confessed slowly, slowly over the years. Well, he, he's not really as bad as I thought. In the beginning, she didn't like him at all. She She's just going for the stability and for the money. Period. 100% she 
It's not that she was neutral about him. She did not like him. And she confessed that again and again. But over the years, he just kept showering her with real, true love, caring and help. And that brought her around. And she began to see the good in him, in his heart and in his soul. And that made her begin to love him. And the last time I talked to her, she loved him as much as anybody could. And I said goodbye. Never talked to her again. Now, I tell that story because that's almost the only one I know of that's good. Anywhere in Southeast Asia. Now, there, there are some good ones. I just don't happen to know too many of them. Um, I'm going to tell you the uh, antithesis to that. And i got to be quick here because we're running out of time. I knew a girl. She worked in a bar. Really pretty girl. Her mother had grown up in the bar. And, uh, like, like mother, like daughter. She learned it from her mom. So she worked in the bar. She had two or three customers every night. Made a lot of money by Thai standards. Uh, she met a phalang in the bar. Where the fuck was he from? I think from the U.S. He's some kind of big-time engineer in the U.S., something like that. He came, he, he had been down there. He took her out, took her a few times from the bar, liked her, um, <clears throat> proposed. She said, okay, <clears throat> dang it. And uh, they got married. <clears throat> Excuse me. <coughs> Was it a Thai wedding? Well, it was at least a Thai wedding. He might have taken her to the U.S. to get married also. I'm not sure. No, no, he didn't. He didn't. He, it was just a Thai wedding. They had a Thai wedding. Uh, he loved her, loved her, loved her, loved her to death. And he built her a custom home, a big, sprawling, huge fucking custom home. About uh, 60, 80 miles from where she was, had been in this bar for years and years. Um... And that was his home. That was her home and his home. And he had to go back to the U.S. quite a bit. He, he could come for like three months at a time, probably the, probably the length of his visa, tourist visa. Uh, and he would stay in his home, the home that he built with her. And then he'd have to go away for three or four months and then he could come back. So he, he actually got to spend, I think, almost half the year in Thailand with her in his home. Okay. Her brother also stayed there. Now, the Thais will, if, if they have a home, they will... They will bring in the entire goddamn family, the goats and the chickens and the cats and the, and the neighbors of the family. And, you know, we'll talk about that later. Uh, she didn't do that. She just had her brother stay there. And sometimes her mom. Um, and so this guy would come down from the U.S. and he'd stay. And he, he got, he liked the brother. He, they got along. He got along really famously with the brother. Like, liked the guy, young guy. This feeling was old. He was... 60. But the brother was a nice Thai guy and spoke some English and, and they, they did everything together. They went fishing, they went motorbike rides, they did everything. Um, and it worked out. It was just fine. Except that I know the brother was her real husband. And you're going, what, 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 what'd you say? What the fuck? 
No, I heard that wrong. No, no. The brother was her real husband. Now they slept together and fucked. They were husband and wife in the home, beautiful home that the other husband had bought for her. Uh, in Thailand, the records are horrible. You can make up any name you want to get married. You have five husbands, nobody's ever going to know. Um, she had a handful of ID cards, you know, didn't matter. So they fucked and fucked and fucked until the following husband came and stayed. And then the brother had to move out of her bedroom, you know, stay in his own bedroom. Um, she told me once, it was so funny. Like, oh God, this was funny. This was hilarious. Um, during dinner, they were all sitting at the dinner table and eating and eating and this big fat filling is chowing down, you know, chowing down. And she got up, went to some room, called to her brother, hey, can you help me with something? Yeah, sure. So he gets up, filling's still eating. And they went in this other room and fucked their brains out, fucked each other's brains out, while husband number two is sitting there eating at the table. And as soon as the flying was gone, um, the brother moved, the brother, husband moved back into the, their bedroom, you know, and they just fucking, fucking, fucking. As far as I knew, I, I knew this was going on for some years, quite a few years, four or five, six. And the, uh, the Falang, as far as I ever knew, he never figured it out because he kept coming and kept sending her money and supporting her. And... Okay. That's the other side of relationships in Thailand or Southeast Asia. And they go far worse than that. Far worse than that. Uh, okay, so we're done. We're, we're out of time. I'm just going to end it because I don't know what the next one's going to cover. <laughs> I haven't thought of that. Okay. Thank you very much. And uh, good evening. This is number, what is it? This is number 14. So good evening. And I, I was going to say German. I can't remember. Guten. <laughs> good night.